You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 83 for Monday the 2nd of October 2017. My guest today is Amelia Hay, the author of the soon-to-be-published James Lalonde thriller novels, a seven-novel series. When she's not writing thrillers, Amelia loves to travel and coach aspiring writers. She helps authors to write, brand and market their books so that they can create their dream business, build their author platform and be creatively independent. In 2011, she started taking her writing seriously, studying the craft of storytelling through screenwriting, then turned to writing fiction novels and independent publishing because she wanted people to read her work instead of it sitting in an archive somewhere waiting many years to be made into a film. So when we chatted for the podcast, I started by asking Amelia how and when her writing story began. I'm not going to count sort of childhood or teenage years, even though I was obsessed with writing back then. I think I started taking it more seriously in 2011. And I actually was at work one day and I had this idea and I was like, oh, that would make a great movie. So I started to learn the craft of screenwriting. And screenwriting's really um it's three-act structure-based. There's a lot of sort of structure to scene and all sorts of stuff like that that you need to learn beforehand. So I decided to write four feature film-length screenplays. So was I think they were roughly, I think, 110 pages, which is 110 minutes of screen time. So, And then I got to the end of the fourth one And it sort of dawned on me that if I was lucky enough to find an agent and to sell my screenplays, I would just sit in the archives of some production company and never see the light of day. And that's when I sort of realised that it was actually really important for me to get my stuff seen. And so I thought the easiest way to do that would be to turn my last screenplay into a book because I liked the the characters and the context and and the story of that screenplay. And I thought I could, it was a little difficult because it was set in a theatre and it was was about a theatre company. So it was like, it was sort of smashed, but more sort of romantic comedy based, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So I went down the path of sort of writing a novel. And the interesting thing is when I started writing um, a novel, I threw, for some silly reason, I decided to throw away the the outlining and the the structure that comes with screenwriting and I just sort of typed away and then I realized that was not a great way to write a book that it was my um the chapters were really long and I was just like and I was really struggling and not only that is I was writing in the wrong genre like I um I can sort of watch a romantic comedy on film but I can't read the books, like, I can't get past maybe the third chapter because I know what's going to happen and it's, I know, it's a little more, I don't want to say boring because I don't want to offend anyone who actually really loves those books, but, but for me I found them a bit of a snooze. So what I actually really like writing is more sort of conspiracy thriller or sort of crime sort of thrillers, if you will. They tend to... For me, I've realised they sort of overlap in a way. So that's what I love to, to sort of write. Okay, so um, I know that you weren't very happy in whatever your day job was at the time. No. Uh, so so what, what's your kind of profession or what kind of work do you do? And, and did that have, have anything to do with what you're doing now? At the time, I was sort of screenwriting and transitioning into novel writing. I was working in finance so, and I had worked in finance for about 11 years, so it was quite analytical. So when I read something, I will sort of analyse it a bit. I naturally will pick apart a book and I'll notice sort of where things particularly are. So that 
sort of that analytical nature of working in finance sort of helped me with writing. But other than that, not really. So while I had my finance day job, I was also starting a coaching practice. So this sort of happened sort of around 2013. I started life coaching and then it sort of progressed on to sort of business coaching. And I've sort of scaled that back because I've found that people once they get to know me as a coach, they're actually more interested in finding out how I write my blog posts and how I'm able to sit there and they basically want to know how to write and about content marketing, even though I think I'm quite bad at it, but people seem to want to want that information from me. So I thought I may as well sort of give people what they want, but aim it to more, towards more sort of like a writing coach or a book coach. So at the moment I sort of feel like for me to get to that stage where I can take on sort of writing coach clients, I need to get a few books out. So that's sort of where I am with my career at the moment. So I no longer have a day job because I um I quit in 2015 because Roland wanted to go to the U.S., for a while with Google and I couldn't get the time off because you can't really get a lot of time off in finance. It's You have to really pick it and it needs to be in the middle of the month and not towards the end of the month or the beginning of the month. The other reason that sort of I think sort of writing and sort of having a business appeals to me is I've noticed like this trend among amongst women in the workplace that they work so they can put their children in childcare and the childcare costs are quite high. So very rarely do they break even. And the same is true in Australia where I'm from. And that's sort of when it dawned on me because I'm at an older age now and I'm, I am sort of starting to think about the, the next phase in my life. And I'm sort of thinking, I don't want to work and never see my children. I want to do something that I love and still be able to be around them. Being an independent uh, publisher um, and writer is is perfect for that. Um, let, yeah. let, let's go back to the screenplays uh, then. So there's, there's so much that I want to delve into here. And, and screenplays is something I have no experience of. Now, when most people decide to write, they go for books because most of us are familiar with books already. We know what's required. But with well, with screenplays, we know about film. We've all seen plenty of films. You see, I wouldn't know where to start with a screenplay. So how did you how did you get into that in the first place? I was working for a travel company and there was a guy there that was already writing screenplays. So I think I casually mentioned it to him in the break room one day and he was like, oh, I write stuff. I'm, I'm writing screenplays and he, we got talking about it and I think that was just being able to talk to someone about an idea I had and about writing, that's sort of what, that's how it really stuck with me. So I just went down to my local foils and or if, if you're American, that's just like a, it's a huge um, chain of bookstores and I just got a, a load of books out on screenwriting and they all talk, they all tend to say, maybe a similar thing. They all talk about the three-act structure and having certain points in the mo- at certain minutes in the movie. So they talk about um, obviously each page is a minute in screen time and it's just dialogue and scene description. There isn't obviously any narration or character thoughts so, or anything like that. It's just scene description and... Um, Dialogue. So when you write a screenplay, you almost need to think about how it's going to translate onto a screen and if it's actually possible. If you're not writing something that's too, the budget's so huge that it would never get made. I'm actually holding in my hand right now. It was just to my left-hand side and you just reminded me about it when you were speaking. Uh, Blake Schneider's Save the Cat, which, yes. um, which I use as my guide now for writing books. I love the structure of that, which is actually for film, um, but it's so educative if you're a writer as well, I think. Have you, presumably yeah. you've encountered that. Yeah, so I, I have that on my um, my Kindle. I think that was one of the first books that I that I actually read. The first, the very first one is was called The Screenwriter's Bible, and it literally talks about anything, everything related to screen from how a, a, a screenplay needs to be formatted to sort of story arcs and 
it even talks about TV and web series and just how different they are. Like if you're writing for TV, that's like five-act structure. It Essentially, it's like three, for me, I recognise it as three-act structure, but the, but it, the second act broken into two pieces. That's how I understood it. No, the middle act broken into three pieces, sorry. I think you can learn so much from, from TV and movies now. I mean, TV in particular is quite spectacular these days, I think. Are you a, a sort of a Netflix, HBO, kind of Amazon Prime uh, consumer? Yeah, I have both of those, actually. I've got Amazon Video, Netflix, and, yeah. I do watch um, maybe not a ton of TV, but there are certain things that I really love watching. Like I'm really interested to watch. My husband reminded me of it actually, that J.K. Rowling's um, thriller series is, I think it's called The Cuckoo's Calling. That's now a TV series. So I'm really interested in watching the book adaptation to screen and sort of seeing what's actually missing from the TV series that was in the book and stuff like that. How did you get on with screenplays then? Because, I mean, I, I know, again, reading your details on your website, there's lo- loads of information about you. Thank you for that. It makes researching really, really easy. Uh, but, you know, I know I know that you've, you've been writing since you were a kid and you, you've always been scribbling. But there's a difference between scribbling and, and actually producing something that you can print out and that is a finished product. You, you seem to have transitioned to it fairly, fairly effortlessly from the sounds of it. Um. Yeah, so with my screenplays, I got to, back then I didn't really revise and that was not the point of writing it. I just wanted to write four complete scripts just for the, for the pure joy of learning how to write. I did sort of go over them and read them. I, I did do a table read for one of them and I think that was one of my earlier pieces and that was like really eye-opening because I realised I didn't give enough direction and my characters didn't have individual voices. But with screen and novel writing, they're very similar. They're similar but different. Like the structure and the outlining, like you said earlier with um, the Save the Cats book, you can take it across to novel writing and, and it sort of fits. I think that's why I'm able to... I was able to transition so easily. I bet one of the um, one of the really good disciplines, actually, of writing screenplays is, and, and I think you've alluded to it already, is distinctive voices from characters. When you've only got voice, and I guess um, I call it studio direction, you know, but things that happen, um, it, it's very. It must be very necessary to delineate the voices of each character. Do, do you have any kind of tips and strategies for that? Something I struggle with in books, actually. When I sort of will write character, specifically dialogue, I know it's slightly different from characterization, but I've realized that over looking back at what I do, I almost sort of take on a character as I write the dialogue. It's almost borderline acting that I'm sitting down. And sometimes I do, I will act out a scene so I can see that it's believable, even though it's in a book. But um, before I start writing a novel, I've, I always start with the character and I go into this is this. I start with the character and this is sort of what happens to them. Maybe not happens to them is the wrong word. This is this is the trouble they cause for themselves. And then I go back into their sort of back history, their sort of back history and how they relate to other characters. And I sort of find that if you give everybody, I know everyone sort of says this, but I like to have really flawed characters because it's um, it's not really relatable. So like my character, um, James Lond, he's quite arrogant and he's, he's a huge risk taker and he doesn't sort of think about things. He just sort of dives in and then, later on he'll be like "Hmm, maybe that wasn't the best option i find giving characters realistic flaws like i know that sort of serves my story but i've seen this in people in real life it's something i know i'm a bit of a risk taker but i've also seen these this particular um combination of flaws in other people and i found it quite fascinating and 
So I, I guess I get character from the people around me and they just sort of evolve over time. My characters evolve over time as I write. Like I've been writing James Alon since 2013 because he was originally a part of a, one of the screenplays and I was like, I really like this screenplay, not the genre, but I like the characters and their job because he's an investigative journalist and it's quite, I find that quite fascinating. Obviously some some of investigative journalism is really boring and some of it isn't, but I just sort of focus on the non-boring side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you did the screenplays. Did you ever aspire then? Because you, you obviously had this critical point with the screenplays where you thought, Do you know what, that's just going to sit on a shelf. It might get optioned and then never made. You obviously had that that point in your career yeah did, did you have anything that did you just realize it or did you have a personal experience where you were sending them off and, and, and that's when the penny dropped no I, I didn't actually send them off I started researching how to find um how to find people who were interested in my screenplay like how to find agents and then I slowly realized through I guess forums and speaking to, like I went to Rain Dance is a an independent film organisation in, I think it's the UK and I think it's the US now. And I suddenly learnt that through interacting with other people that some of them have been sending stuff off for years and they sit in this slush pile in a similar way that you would send a book off to a traditional um traditional publisher and it would just sit in a pile and no one would get eventually get around to reading it and I thought uh, and then that was a little bit I was a little bit "Mm, this isn't really what I wanted and that's when I sort of thought about I think that's when I found Joanna Penn's blog well actually found her on YouTube where she was the videos were quite old but she was talking about how she self-published this book and I was like no way and I was I've been hooked ever since so self-publishing is is the bug that that you got caught by um yeah. definitely self-publishing no no aspirations to go the trad route now um only for vanity reasons seeing my book on a bookshelf but I'm I'm more of a control freak I like to have control of the end product. I'm very, have a very strong opinion in regards to how I want it to look and how I want it to look on the, like inside of a physical book and on a, an e-reader. So, and because I'm, I think the reason why I'm a control freak is because I'm so creative and I've done my coaching business for a while and I'm used to having all of that control right from the way a blog post looks to marketing. I know that's obviously different, but that's where it sort of comes from. So that I think that's why it really appeals to me. I don't have to – I can take a risk and not have a publishing company breathing down my neck going, you know, I don't think this is a good idea or – yeah. Okay, so now very interestingly, again, with, with your series of, of novels now, you've committed up front to – a seven novel series and you're you're not even publishing the first one you're getting like three written I think at first what's that all about uh so I wrote immunity first so I it took me a long time to write that and it was I had a few sort of issues of procrastination getting stuck on certain things and getting hung up on writing the book the right way and as I finished that, I sort of realised that I needed to have a reader magnet. So I created silence in sort of like, I think it was like one of the NaNoWriMo's I did. And and then I liked that book so much. And I'm like, I don't particularly want to give this book away for free now. So I created something else. So I created, eventually sort of created Missing. And I've also got like a shorter story called Press Night. And I have outlined the second book in the series, but it's um, part of the reason why I've taken so long is I'm a great starter but a terrible finisher, so I like to start things. And I am slowly getting better at that and getting that under control, but that's something that as an, an independent writer that I struggle with. 
if I'm going to be sort of completely honest, that's why I have so many. But the longer term, the longer term goal is for me to sort of slowly build up an email list and have a few free products out there. So as I launch Immunity, I have people who are already interested in the characters and are ready to buy. I've just noticed, I hadn't seen this before actually, but as we've just been talking, I've just noticed that you use a similar device that I do on my website, which is you've got a little counter on your website that says how far you are with the draft. So you've got, um, at the moment, immunity is 106,000 words of 108,000 words. That's a pretty substantial novel. So <laughs> congratulations on that. That's immense, 108,000 words. You've got, uh, what, um, well, 60,000 words silence is going to be. Uh, you've got yeah. fifty-one thousand words of that, and then you, uh, and then your your missing book is going to be that twenty-six thousand words is what you're aiming for. So very different yeah. lengths, uh, and, and I can see though at sixty thousand words, you don't really want to be giving that away, do you? Um, it's no, quite, quite hard to do that. That was originally supposed to be a novella, and then I realised I can't actually write a short piece. It's like really difficult. So that ended up being, it is in technically silence is in revision, and I've realised that there's a bit of a problem with the with the overall plot because I did that in a hurry. Like I did that, so I wrote that, I wrote that book from start to finish in 30 days and it was my second book and I shouldn't have done that. I should have taken the time because with Immunity I spent a month outlining it and you can tell because in my first draft there isn't, there's stuff wrong with it but it's, there's not major, major stuff wrong with it. Like there's no major plot holes and it's because I've taken the time to revise an outline and then to sorry write an outline and then revise it and then I went and started writing immunity so I think that's the difference between those two books but that's why there's like I've got 51,000 but there's an an extra 9,000 missing is that's just scenes I need to add in now, for uh, a book to make sense. You've got um, – the covers are nice, by the way. I don't know how you made the covers, but the, the branding's lovely with that kind of um, shadow on. I, I, I'm a little bit sick of seeing um, – and I don't apply this to your book because I think your book uses that trend but breaks it. You know, the kind of silhouette of the man, um, you know, on, yeah. the, on the road. I'm a little bit I – know, I, know, I know it's really good for branding because we all know what we're getting, a Lee Child kind of book. But yeah. I, I'm a little bit tired of it, and I wouldn't use it myself. But I like what you've done because you've kind of – the silhouette's really effective. Is it the same silhouette in all of the books? Yeah, it's the same one. So basically they're stock images and I've it's a DIY job. I've opened it in Photoshop and I've layered a few images on top of each other and I think there's like a colour on top of that as well. Not a colour. I've gone in and I've altered the images. I've made them more darker and I've kept the fonts the same. So it's the same type of thing. So I've, I have I've purchased Mark Dawson's self-publishing 101 course and there's a, there's a section on there on cover design where Mark Dawson's cover design, cover yeah. designer goes into um, detail about if you do DIY a book cover to make it simple and that's when, that's when I thought, ah, oh. so if I just have these two images and then I keep everything consistent then it looks good. But that wasn't my first version of Immunity. There's been, I think, four versions of the cover since then, no, prior to that particular one. And I got something that was like, oh, I really like this. This actually looks like a proper book. And then I designed the other two based on that. Well, they look very good and they look very branded. So when you release these three books, it's going to be quite obvious they're all part of the series. And I think you've done really well with that. And uh, it's interesting to hear that you've learned, you know, from Mark's designer, who is a pro, isn't he? Does lovely covers. Um, and then he's done, like, there's the front cover of Carrie by Stephen King. And I was like, he's like a, a um, yeah, he's like a designer for, obviously, he does, like, trade as well, or did do trade. I'm not quite sure if he still does. But, yeah, I was just, I'm very interested in getting my books to look really similar to what's already in the book in the bookshelves of a bookshop. What I am interested to know is how um, you could possibly manage at one time, you know, three projects of, of that scale. I, I'm very much 
um, I think in, in like the Belbin test, what you call a finisher completer. So I, you know, I do one thing, finish it, move on to the next thing. Yet here you are. I mean, 108,000 words is a vast project and, and you're at different stages in different projects. I would find that really, really difficult to manage. So does this suit the way your mind is wired? Yeah. I'm very much a, um, I like to have lots of plates spinning. Occasionally I'll have too many going at once and things will fall off. Like um, up until recently, like I was planning an international wedding and a whole heap of other things I was writing or I was working on those projects and I tried to start a podcast that talk, that really discusses um, thriller writing or thriller books, which is more of a bookmark, a future book marketing thing for me. And, you know, a YouTube channel and it got really overwhelming because I underestimated how long it would take to plan my wedding. So I, was, I got married in Brisbane and I, I had to sort of cut a few things off. So I cut off the, the more businessy things like the YouTube channel and my podcasts. And I thought, and then it, it was manageable. But I never, I only ever write one first draft at a time. So... I'll be writing a first draft and then sort of creating another story and sort of outlining something. But I'll, I won't do two first drafts at a time because it's that's just super difficult. And by the time I get to writing a first draft, the book is usually set in stone. I mean, I usually add in – I do add in other other – scenes because I, I sort of think as I write I realize oh I need to do this in the book for everything to make sense but they're usually not huge things that alter a book so that's why I can do a few things at the same time and now that I'm revising immunity I did pause that to go back and create a series bible because I realized I was getting confused and I needed to make sure everything was consistent so to do that, I had to go back and read Silence. And I um, so I've started revising Silence as well. Is your plan then to release these books at once when they go? And do you have a, a date set in stone for these? Yes. Um, March 2018, I want to be releasing Silence no, sorry, I'll release Immunity first and then I'll release Silence probably maybe a month or two later and I'll advertise that as the prequel to that and then I'll release the others after that. The reason why I don't want to release them both is I'll have two books to market then and I'm just sort of worried. I don't want to give myself too much, too many things to market especially when I don't really have a grasp on what book marketing is. So I don't particularly want to do too many at once. So I will spread them out. So maybe between two and three months. It depends how I go and how I feel about whether I'm able to still do all of these other things and market a book. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to do. And you said earlier that you've done – Mark Dawson's um, self-publishing 101 course, so you know, no doubt, how daunting yeah. it is. You know, after you've written the book, the marketing is just as challenging as actually doing the writing and the revising. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to do, and I know from having a coaching business that I, it's sort of different because it's service-based marketing, but um, it is a huge thing like you have to be working you have to be marketing your book in some way every day like you can't stop it's not something it's not something that'll just it's not like a boat that will just drift with the tide you have to it's like a car engine it needs to be turned on yeah i'll just take you away from the writing for a little bit because um again when i was researching you prior to doing this interview yeah it struck me i mean i found two elements of the business I found that the life coaching business and I found the the writer support business and you've got two yep. extremely uh, competent and well-developed websites for both sides of those businesses so do, do you do um, you know you're, you're all over the web and you seem to have a lot of technical skills are you self-taught did you did you know this stuff before you started because it's all great stuff 
I actually started with WordPress.com and then I realised and then I, I just started with the basic theme and then I realised I wanted to tailor it. And then I started getting researching CSS and HTML and then I realised I needed to go to WordPress.org and do hosting. So that's where these sites are now. I use a theme called, the, I think it's called the Divi theme and it's by Elegant Themes. So I have a, what is it called? I have a developer licence. So it is drag and drop, but to really customise it, you need to understand CSS and HTML. It's not something I would recommend to someone who's like, oh, maybe I need a website. It's, it is quite difficult and there's like a Facebook group for it and people are constantly in there and asking questions. I now have the luxury of, because I've married Roland, he works, he's a software engineer and he works for Google. So he's really well versed in CSS now. So instead of Googling how to do something, if it's if I get to the point where I'm spending too much time on it, I can then sort of ask him. But it's sort of rare that I ask him now because I've spent so long having to do it on my own. But it's actually a really great theme. I absolutely love it and it's it's very custom customizable. Yeah, Divi, uh, I'm familiar with Divi. In actual fact, I'm so sad. I know I've been using WordPress so long, I actually thought it was Divi before you said it was. So I'm pleased, I'm pleased you confirmed that. I can spot the Divi theme. Um, and it's very nice, as you say, completely customizable, very drag and drop. Um, and uh, you've done a really nice job of it. CSS, for people who don't know who are listening, is cascading star sheets. I would recommend as a newbie, don't touch it. <laughs> it's it's yeah. complicated stuff, isn't it? It's, you get yeah. lost in it crazy i'm getting to the point where i need to sort of create a child theme with divi because um i added these extra features and every time i get an update i have to add them in again so i need to sort of figure out how to create a child theme so it's not going to change they're minor features that i've added but yeah the other thing I want to say about your sites is I like your use of colour, um, graphics and layout. You feel like you've got um, a real aptitude for this. Where, where does that come from? Or again, are you self-taught with this? I am self-taught. It's it, That comes from having starting my first life coaching business and being very aware of branding and colours, colour scheme. With the um, the writing, both, the, both websites look very similar and that will change when when I have the time to change it. But um I use that um that sort of Tiffany and Co type style blue where it's like that it's not a teal but it's maybe it's more duck egg. But anyway, I use like a like a greeny sort of blue and I've chosen that colour because it's quite calming and I'm aware of how colour will affect people. So I, when the when my mum peeps when people are on my site, I want them to sort of feel quite calm because writing a book, if you don't know what you're doing and you're stuck on something, you can get quite stressed out. So I want it to be a place where people sort of feel calm and they can just sort of read the information that I'm sharing and then go back and sort of apply it. And that's the effect I want the website to have on people. Well, they're both very nicely done. They look extremely pro. I love your use of you know, images, layout. It's It's really... It's very, very impressive. So, you know, well, well done on that. It's a great start when you when you start to sell the books. It's going to look fantastic for people. Um, and I also notice, of course, you've got email there. You, you, you've obviously d done your, your learning correctly because you know you've got to start building an email list. And I think you're using yeah. MailChimp. Is that right? Yeah, I, I really love MailChimp. A lot of people sort of really do hate on MailChimp, but um, I found a way to segment my lists and all sorts of things. Like you can add in hidden fields into, like depending on where you go on my website, at the back end of the little form, I've got a, like an invisible field that I've ticked. So if you sign up at, at a particular place, you will only get these type of updates. I, I use that more on my author page. So if you go to the front page and sign up, you will only get updates for immunity. But if you sign up on the book pages, on my book pages, you'll get updates for all of my books. 
and if you sign up on my website, you will only get, sorry, not website, if you sign up on my blog, you will only get blog updates, and it just adds an extra column in MailChimp, and I find that, for me, that makes it so much easier. That's clever. So let, let's just run through this because I know a lot of people use MailChimp. So this is an invisible field that you add to a form. That's really easy to do in forms, isn't it? And you're pre-checking yeah. it. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. So to, to, to activate this feature, you need to go into MailChimp because when you set up a form, when you set up a list, you have to set up the sign-up form for MailChimp. I don't use the MailChimp sign-up forms, obviously. But... Um, there's an option there where you can see all the, they call them meta tags, but one will say first name, email address, and you can add another one. There's two columns. One says um, required, so you can force people to add in information or not sign up. And then there's there's another field that says, it either says invisible or visible, and I've just unchecked that visible column. Put your fingers in your ears if you don't like geeky stuff, right? But that, that actually isn't, as compl- that isn't complicated. But that's a really no. ninja tip, that is, for segmenting. You're, you're almost into quite complex CRM. But I, I, I've been using MailChimp. I've had a lot of experience with MailChimp. I'd never thought of using it that way, and that's very, it's very clever. So uh, I, I want to share that because a lot of people who use MailChimp will just get that straight away and think, right, we'll do that. Um, and, and, and segmenting your list is a great thing to do because you can send more yeah. tailored emails to people, which is um, yeah. how you relate to people better, don't you? Yeah, I am experimenting on my website at the moment where I'm not where I'm foregoing the option of adding in a first name and just capturing email lists, email addresses to see because – I've learned over time that people are quite hesitant to give over personal details because we've now got issues of various forms of cybercrime. And I think people are becoming really overly cautious. So I've gotten rid of first name just to see if I get more sign-ups or the quality drops a bit just as a, an experiment. And I think after several months of that, I'll look back and sort of think, was this worth it? And then sort of make a decision based on that. Now, I must talk to you also about podcasts. I mean, the other thing that strikes me looking at all the stuff you've got online is you're a very hard worker. There's a lot of work gone into this. And um, yeah. I'm on SoundCloud now where I'm looking at your Be Motivated podcast. But I know you've also got a yeah. writing podcast, uh, you know, launching imminently as well. So to just talk me through the podcast, yeah. if you would. So my Be Motivated podcast was with my co- my business coaching and I actually really enjoyed doing that and I started to wind down my business coaching, well, my coaching business around the time that the podcast was, I think I just launched the podcast and then I had sort of, I did a step back and I looked at what I had achieved because that marked the first year of me being um self-employed and I realized what I really wanted to do I wasn't doing so like when you start a business it's never you know a full-time or part-time it's just all the time like it really took over my life and I mean even though I was walking working from home and I would see Roland and I would talk to my family over Skype whenever whenever I could because I didn't have to worry about the the time difference I was available when they were available so I realised I didn't actually get much writing done and that really annoyed me. So, And at the same time, I was starting to notice a pattern in people chatting to me about oh, how do I start a blog, how do I use content marketing to get um, clients and part of that is sort of writing in a certain way and sort of writing to solve a problem. So, yeah, so at that time I sort of did a step back and decided, you know what, I need take a risk and sort of pursue writing I did sort of say to Roland I think I'm going to go back to work part-time and so I can just write and close my business and he was like oh you know don't be stupid just you know focus on writing and you'll get there eventually so and that's how I sort of made the decision so I've scaled back my business so it's bootstrapped so it costs I think less than a hundred pounds to run at the moment and that's with everything that you're seeing it's interesting that you say that because that's a recent decision that I took that um, I, I've been self-employed for six years. And when you are self-employed, you frankly need to just almost work every hour, you know, because you're aware yeah. that downtime is not money 
coming in time. Um, yeah. And so much as I enjoyed it, I never felt as tired as I did when I was at work. Um, you know, it, it took up all my time. And as I moved into writing and, and I, I got a feel of how much time I needed to write, so, you know, I actually work three days a week now because it, it, it compartmentalizes my, my earning capacity. And then when I'm done with the three days, I've then got four days to work on the writing. And I've actually found it a blessed relief to know that the money's coming in. You know, the money's coming in in those three days. And then in the four days, I get on with the writing and I have no other, you know, pressures around those days. And that's worked really well for me. Um, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, when I was self-employed, I found that balance really hard because the writing doesn't bring the money in straight away. It takes a lot of effort to start pushing that rock up the hill with writing. Yeah, I think... That's where I'm like a natural risk taker and I think this is why I chose this particular path and not um, the part-time job and, you know, the writing because my particular skill set at the moment, like if I went back and got a job, I would have to go back to finance and as I don't really love it. It's not It's not a reflection on, like, the people the people I've worked with or the companies that I've worked for. It's just I'm such a wrong match for finance. Like, it's, yeah, I'm the exact opposite of what you need. Like, I, I am analytical, but it's something that I really, really do not love. And I'm not a fun person to be around when I'm working there. It's really stressful. And, yeah, so... I sort of made that decision based on these things and I'm like, I think Roland's life would be happier if I'm less stressed, if that sort of makes sense. That's sort of why I made that decision because, yeah, because I sort of feel like quality is the quality of the life and and how I understand how my life affects the people around me and I'm sort of in a position where I sort of, I do have funds left over from, when I did leave and my business is really um it doesn't cost that much so it's like 1200 a year so at the moment I'm not I haven't spent any money on an editor yet but that's where I'm leaving my money for is like the professional editing because I realize I'm going to need like a developmental editor like I can't get away with that even if I use beta readers I still don't want to risk putting out a product that's subpar because my name's going to be attached to it. And I've also got like a writing sort of tips blog attached to my brand as well. So I want to put out a great product. So it means I have to sort of obviously invest and do everything the right way. One thing I should mention to you, we haven't mentioned this so far, is you do actually have a couple of non-fiction books out there under your yeah. Amelia Hay name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, talk me through that. Just, just tell me, you know, because uh, that, that sounds maybe says it all. So what was your experience with those? Basically, I wrote those press publish and nothing sold. And it was because I didn't market it. But um, I, I, I really dread getting sales for those. <laughs> Mainly, I know that sounds crazy. It's because I know they're not the most amazing products out there. And they were the first books I ever wrote, and they're just not great. I wrote Smarter Goal Setting to to accompany my business, my sort of business coaching, to help my business coaching clients sort of set goals and sort of working sort of towards that. And, yeah, so I wrote those. I actually don't think I got a professional editor. I did spend a long time editing it myself. And I did sort of give it to to a few people who I knew was to sort of go through it and tell me what they really thought. And I just sort of put it out there and looking back, I should have sent it to an editor. But actually, I think that book cover for Smarter Goal Setting was the first, second cover I ever created. Obviously, 101 Facts About the Brain was the first one. And that was a tester product. I just thought, you know, just for me to sort of experience self-publishing and sort of using, what was it called back then? Well, the KDP dashboard and all of that. So that was a test, a pilot product. Was that cover creator? I oh, know. I didn't use the cover creator. I used Canva. And oh, I've, yes, yeah. 
I don't use and I don't recommend using Canva because I've seen in their terms and conditions that they actually own the artwork you create with their product. Something along the lines of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think I'll be using them anymore. So that's when I transitioned to Photoshop. I just jumped in the deep end and thought, I'll figure this out. Well, Photoshop is difficult to use. I, I, I'm supposed to be efficient, you know, trained properly in Photoshop, but I can't make head or tail of it. Still, um, it, it is it's quite a challenge. And um, were you using a stripped down elements version, or did you just go straight for the big one? I just went straight for the big one. <laughs> See, I'm a I'm a jump in the deep end. I'm a sort of jump in the water, don't check the water level first type of person because I find that um, I'm prepared to learn how to use a product because I know long-term this will be very beneficial. So I'm willing to put in the time. It's why I created my websites myself. It's because I sort of realise further down the track this is going to save me a lot of money. This could be my inner bean counter going, how can I save money? But um, I think that's... That sort of thought patterns probably from working in finance for such a long time that I actually do love figuring out how to use a product like software. It's I don't know. It's something that I really enjoy. It sounds really nerdy now that I say that out loud, but it's something that I really, really love to do. On your uh, coachameliahay.co.uk site, there's a lovely picture at the top with uh, what I assume is your bookshelf with uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, you've got some NLP there, Tony Robbins, all, all the books that most aspiring <laughs> entrepreneurs have on their shelf. I've got my shelf of similar books to yeah. my right. So um, I, I wanted to ask you then, where do you go to feed and learn, you know, to feed your brain and to learn about entrepreneurship, writing, and I'm, as well as books, I'm referring to podcasts and audios as well with this. Okay, back then I was listening to a whole bunch of people about entrepreneurship. Um, maybe I should just open my Kindle app uh, yeah. and the answers will come. <laughs> yeah, because I've read so many things on entrepreneurship. It's crazy. I originally started um, listening to Marie Forleo's um YouTube channel and she does she talks about life and business there so that was my first exposure to entrepreneurship and then after that I followed a few other business coaches like Olivia Charlet she has a YouTube channel as well and I got my own business coach for a while and what about writing where do you go for your your writing input that you've mentioned Jonah Penn already of course yeah I've actually now that I've sort of listened, I sort of focusing more on writing, got a ton more things that I sort of listen to. So obviously there's Creative Pen Podcast. I really like the self-publishing podcast. I get so much more from that. Um, I, sorry, I get so much more out of that than just um, sort of publishing because it's like almost you get to listen in to what guys talk about when people aren't around. But that's sort of how I sort of, when I listen to that podcast, because it's um Dave, Johnny and Sean, they really do. They're quite funny when they're together and I find that quite entertaining. But they also have some really interesting guests who talk, who obviously are more advanced than me. And I find that stuff really quite interesting. Also listen to Mark Dawson's um, self-publishing formula podcast. There's also a YouTube channel by Mark Chamberlain and it's called The he has a he used to have a podcast called the book editor show and i found that youtube channel really fascinating because at the time i just finished writing immunity and i was really stuck like i couldn't figure out how am i supposed to revise a novel and i would listen go researching heaps of things and everyone says something completely different and i sort of felt like he dumbed it down for me and from that, I was able to create my own sort of heavy edit sort of checklist. So I actually revise my novels in phases now, and I look at one particular aspect, and it just makes it less overwhelming for me. It looks to me like you are very much uh, an entrepreneur. And I ask people this quite a lot because a lot of authors, um, you know, struggle to write the book, but then they really struggle to market. Um 
Would you describe yourself as an entrepreneur first before you're a writer, or are you a bit of a mix of both? Yeah, I'd say I'm probably a mix of both. At the moment, I sort of feel like I'm more of a writer, but I do definitely have quite a strong entrepreneurship sort of background. So, yeah, I guess I'm definitely both. So um, you, you of all people, should know about this because it's on your website about creating dream businesses, um, that this is part of what you do with your your life yep. coaching or you have done with your life coaching. So if you look ahead now, and you, you quite clearly are, um, you know, organising your life around the kind of dream that you have. What, what's that writing business going to look like when you've licked it into shape? Um, I don't just want to write novels. Like I just don't want to, I don't want to particularly pin myself to one sort of medium of writing. I eventually sort of want to get into, because I have ideas for other things that are sort of sitting in the background. So like I have an idea for a, a, um, a web series it's sort of like, I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of like the behind the scenes of a hospital. So it's not ER. It's like when the test results go somewhere. It'll go to like a medical lab and it's sort of set in that environment and it's about how they're sort of struggling to control disease. So I've got that sort of idea. So basically I want to write in a few different sort of mediums of writing. So TV, um, novels, I think that's mainly the main two. I'm thinking about so maybe writing a play, try that out. But um, obviously playwriting and writing for TV, it takes much longer than a book. So these things I can have them working on in the background and sort of be working on my novels at the same time. And there are a number of places online where we can find out about you. In terms of your writing, where are the best places for people to head to to find out more about what you do? Um, there's obviously my website, um, that, and that's just ameliahay.com, and you can find me, if, if you like Twitter, I'm on Twitter a lot. I tend to share a lot of articles that I've read personally that I've found really helpful. So I'm on Twitter as writer A.D. Hay, and I'm also on Instagram under that same username. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.